It is a very warm welcome to everybody tuning in to this episode of the ICB News Channel. My name's Rob Marshall. 2023 is well underway and ICB has a huge focus on keeping you informed and informed and educated throughout 2023, but also beyond for bookkeepers in practice, for bookkeepers in employment and business owners out there who are tuning in, looking after their own books. This podcast is all about bookkeepers helping bookkeepers, helping business. And nobody does that better than the ICB Executive Director joining me again on this episode of the podcast, Matthew Addison. Welcome. Hey, Rob. Good to be here and thanks for the invite once again. Lots of things happening in the world of payroll right now for bookkeepers around Australia. Things rolling out almost uh, by the month and we're going to tackle those. So much of this has been uh, looked at through the eyes of our ICB newsletter for January. And uh, for those who are members, if you haven't already downloaded or have a look, had a look at the January newsletter, we'd encourage you to do so. We're going to cover off on some of the backstory of, of what's in the newsletter through this episode, as we always do, but uh, very much a focus, this newsletter around uh, IR changes and payroll changes. Before we get into those, Matthew, maybe just, um, you know, you and I talk about this quite a bit, the importance that bookkeepers and the role that bookkeepers play for business with payroll. Maybe give us a few uh, a few views on where, where you see that importance these days. Rob, as uh, you're aware, as our members are aware, uh, the digitisation of Australian business is well, well established, right? We've been on this journey for, you know, a good 30, 40 years now of how can we use computers? How can we use software and technology to actually make doing business easier? And yes, bookkeeping was part of that, but payroll has been one in Australia that I'm really thankful for the development of the software in our space. So we've been able as bookkeepers to automate a lot of payroll, be it the timesheets, be it the record keeping in some other form into our core accounting system uh, and doing payroll. But it takes some nows to do that. So it's a bookkeeper who might be doing it for multiple businesses or even that employed bookkeeper that actually has some payroll system nows, knows how to use the software and knows how to improve the business uh, efficiency and effectiveness around payroll. So look, I, I think we're embedded in Australia's payroll. Rob, we had superannuation, become superstream, become payment gateways, become clearing houses. If you're not doing that on a computer, you're actually not compliant anymore. We've had now single touch payroll come up and go, well, anybody that employs anybody um, other than um, uh, WPNs, uh, withholding payer numbers, uh, they're outside scope. But in terms of employers, we have to do our payroll on a computer. We've got to send our payroll via data. So once again, that whole payroll world, the automation, the effectiveness of it, and Rob, you and I have spent many hours arguing about, you know, what is the Fair Work Commission actually saying? What does that award mean? What pay rate where? A business person wants to get on and run business. A bookkeeper comes in, uses their expertise to apply the principles of payroll, the principles of awards to people uh, effectively. So, yeah, look, payroll's here. It's big. It's complex. Um, there's a lot of red tape in payroll, but if we're using software and using systems properly, uh, the bookkeeper becomes an essential tool in making business effective. And I think that's the thing. There is there is a lot more red tape and there's a lot more to get your head around with payroll than possibly you could argue back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the, the complexities of payroll are indeed there. And yet, as you're calling out, we now have tools to help us understand that and work with that more efficiently and more effectively as bookkeepers. And uh, we're certainly going to pick up on that focus in our summit uh, coming up uh, next month, Matthew, and I know that uh, we'll certainly be diving into that in a, in, a, in a much deeper way for those who are attending and we'll call out that uh, if you haven't already grabbed a seat at, uh, at our face-to-face summits around Australia, you can still do that, or if you're not in a position to grab a seat in a face-to-face position, you can jump online and join us at our summit 
and we'd encourage you to go to www.icb.org.au and uh, register if you haven't already done so. Let's get into some of those changes that I referenced and that you've explained have become part of the fabric of a bookkeeper working with payroll on a daily basis. On page 10 of our newsletter and also on our ICB website, icb.org.au, uh, and in our news item section, we've got uh, a significant article, uh, article about changes implemented to IR and payroll is the heading that we've given it. And uh, we're going to unpack this um, a little bit more. We've got a number of pieces of legislation you mentioned, fair, the Fair Work Ombudsman. Um, this is unfolding in some cases, has already unfolded in previous months, and some of these are unfolding across this year of 2023. The first one is prohibiting pay secrecy. Now, this came into play on the 7th of December 2022, so... Uh, not that long ago, and basically covers off on info about employees' pay. And, and I guess what I want to ask you, Matthew, is maybe just explain that a little bit more and what is the impact for employers in regards to prohibiting pay secret, uh, secrecy? You're right, Rob. This world keeps changing. Um, since the Labor government's come in, they came in with a bit of an IR agenda and they are certainly following through on IR agenda and behind this and underlying a lot of the mechanisms or the changes that are being brought forward is trying to protect the vulnerable worker, trying to protect the low paid or underpaid worker. So they've got a real concentration on saying, hang on, in some of these big businesses, the employee's not in control, they've got a lack of power, they just take what they're given and here's government's role to go, hang on, we want to protect you. So there is in Australia what I'd call a minimum safety net being the award system. But what this government is saying is the award system being there is not doing enough to protect the most vulnerable of workers. So the first one that you've alluded to, Rob, there is the prohibiting pay secrecy. So what they're saying here is an employer can't build into their contract a clause that says you, Rob Marshall, are not allowed to talk about how much we're paying you. So we've moved to a world that says, I, Matthew, can ask Rob, hey, what are you being paid? No employer can stop, ask, stop me asking that question. It would now be illegal for an employer to stop or put in a contract that I'm not allowed to ask that question. I'm allowed to ask the question, but the law didn't say you have to answer it. So although I might ask because I'm not sure I'm being paid right, I might be thinking I'm being underpaid, so I want to compare myself to a, a like worker, I come and ask you, I'm allowed to ask, uh, you don't have to answer if you don't wish to. That's where this one goes. Whereas previously there has been evidences of where disciplinary action or perhaps even dismissal has come about because of that. So it's just removing that and protecting, again, the employees. For the employer, it's just being across a, an understanding, isn't it, that, that that conversation can now happen and there's no action to be taken upon it. So any new contract from 7th of December last year can't have a pay secrecy clause in it that prohibits you speaking about your pay. Um, if a contract is renewed, when it's renewed, it's, it has to be um, changed for any of those pay secrecy clauses. So again, we're, we're calling this out as a, as a piece of knowledge that bookkeepers need to have in their kit bag as, as part of the role they play assisting business with payroll. There's no real action here other than to uh, be aware and cognizant of that change in the law. Um, similarly, no, no, continue. Yeah, Rob, but where you're just treading on is what is the role of the bookkeeper here? Right, so that scoping question we, we keep having of it is the role of the bookkeeper to know that this is now the new law, to ask the question, but it's not our role to hit our clients or to get adamant about it. We can ask the questions, we can suggest they get advice, but if they're saying, thank you, I've got the question, move on, then move on. So we are not the policemen. We're just advisors and we're question asking. Unless you are scoped, 
to be the policeman. If you're scoped, if you're employed as a payroll officer to look after everything HR, that might change it a little bit. But typically, we advise, we ask questions, we move on. I love the conversation around scope. It's an important one. We tackled it last year at end of year for those who attended our end of year event and it's an ongoing conversation. It's really important that you understand the scope that you work within under the arrangements that you find yourself because they can differ, as Matthew's just alluded to. Matthew, uh, on the 7th of January this year, not all that long ago again, uh, some changes around the requirements of the placing of job ads and in particular the advertising of pay rates. So again, that protection of the employee, I guess. Just a little bit of backstory behind that one. Yeah, Rob, this is a, a confusing one for me and I've been asking for specific examples of what government has tried to prohibit here. Apparently what was happening is some employers were advertising a job and there is no way that that job at that rate could actually mean the person earned at least minimum wage. So um, there is now a specific law that prohibits any job ad going out uh, below minimum wage. Now where it gets murky is say the piece by piece payment system. So if you're a fruit picker, you're being paid by the carton or whatever, um, you, the rate has to be at a rate that you would achieve at least minimum wage. So that, that's where the job ad comes in. Um, if you're seen to advertise a job below minimum wage, there's now a, a penalty system in place. And a piece of trivia, I actually started out my junior working career as a fruit picker there, Matthew, picking by the crates. So there you go, mandarins and oranges. So I know that story pretty well. But that's one, again, that we need to just understand is now in law, 7th of January, um, the advertising of pay rates. There are some requirements around that. And again, we'd encourage you to go and have a look at our newsletter to, to make sure you're across that. Probably the, 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 the word that was on everybody's lips throughout COVID and has continued to, to continue beyond COVID, if we are indeed beyond COVID, is the conversation around flexible work arrangements. Now, there's some embedding of law coming up on the 6th of June, so ahead of us, around flexible work arrangements. Again, over to you, Matthew, what, uh, what, what's the backstory? So this one is opening up that ability for the employee to ask for flexible work arrangements. Um, I actually think Australia's workforce culture is in a really interesting journey. It's probably happening around the world of remote work versus in-office work and the ability of an employer to demand somebody come back to work. But you can think of some industries, some manufacturing industries, the worker can't actually not work it from, from the establishment. But what this is bringing in is giving the right to every employee to ask for some flexibility and it establishes a process for the employer to respond to that and to respond rationally. And if the employer says, look, it's just not feasible, here's the reasons. And it opens up a door to challenge those reasons through the Fair Work Commission, but it's not I haven't read this one or seen any commentary on this one that really places the employer in a bad spot. Yes, they might get a few more requests for flexible work. They have to respond to those requests, respond rationally, and you should be able to negotiate your way to, to an amicable spot. Uh, but it's opening up a few more reasons behind requesting flexible work. Yeah, okay, so this is one that we'll continue to monitor and watch as it continues to play out. Um, but, uh, yeah, 6th of January 2023 um, is a, uh, a date we need to, to be cognisant of again. Another date looming on the horizon is down the track a little bit, 6th of December 23, as part of the rollout of these new IR changes, is fixed-term contracts. That uh, conversation around employers bargaining or getting the opportunity to bargain better for wages and security, not just about wages. Uh, thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, so again, this one comes from the vulnerable worker concept where people are employed, but they're employed on a contract and they're employed on maybe a one year or the, this legislation goes into two year contracts. And what it's saying is 
two-year contract might be okay, but if you repeat that two-year contract, so you have rolling contracts of two years at a time, then the worker is vulnerable to having their contract torn up. So what it's trying to say is, well, you're no longer a contractor. You're a permanent employee. Stop calling it a contract. Stop writing it that way. You're a normal employee with normal entitlements that come with and the benefits of being a, a employee as opposed to a contractor. Now, this is one we want to keep an eye on. I know there's a lot of um, HRIR lawyers keeping an eye on because we're a bit concerned about the unintended consequence for small business. A lot of us use contractors. Think of us as bookkeepers. A lot of us are contract bookkeepers. And we might have worked with a client for 15 years as a contract bookkeeper. We don't want to see this law or the way it is implemented affect people such as ourselves. I don't think it will, but uh, this is aimed again at the vulnerable worker, not being forced to stay on three month contracts always with that fear of being sacked so you you know you don't complain about workplace mishaps or you don't complain about the pay rate because you want your work to stay yeah no very good uh, probably in a similar vein i don't uh, we don't call out a, a date date uh, to be concerned about here but certainly an ongoing uh, emphasis has been put also on gender equality when it comes to pay rates and the pay gap, obviously, a conversation that's been around for a while. Um, some, again, some backstory on that one. So the, the big label is same job, same pay. So it doesn't matter who you are, if you're doing the same job, the argument is you should be paid the same. So uh, gender equality or whatever is the, the case. Now, there's more factors to that. You get into experience, you get into, you know, supervision of others and all sorts of issues. But this is really calling out, bringing it into law, strengthening the law about you can't discriminate. Um, and look, there's logic to that. I would love to think that the Australian culture was beyond um, gender discrimination in terms of pay rates, but this law strengthens the ability to ensure that... Um, you know, genders are paid the same, same job, same pay. And and again, continuing a similar thread or theme, um, what we've given the title Respect at Work or the re the Respect at Work Bill, um, very much with a, an emphasis on sexual harassment. Uh, 6th of March, this kicks in. Employers are now liable under certain circumstances when it comes to sexual harassment. Where, what's the story there? And again, none of us would fight the concept behind this one, but it does change the burden a little bit to the employer to make sure that the workplace is a safe workplace. Think occupational health and safety. Think workplace um, safety anyway. We've been on this journey forever in terms of physical harm. Now what they've brought in, the same sort of standards and obligations on an employer to make sure that the workplace is a safe place and sexual harassment won't, won't happen in that workplace. Now, you can see how that might get grey and a little bit ugly, um, but it's placing an obligation. Have you as an employer done everything, made sure the policies are in place, make sure the, maybe even the physical environment is right to prevent sexual harassment happening at your workplace? Yeah, yeah, no, good, good, good summation there. Um, look, there are a number of key dates there. There are a number of call-outs that we've just made. Again, we encourage you, if you are a member of the ICB, of course, we've uh, covered this extensively in our newsletters, uh, a newsletter rather, the January edition of the newsletter. You can also uh, read this on our website, icb.org.au, if you go down to our news item section. Um, but again, going back to our newsletter, there is a, a great page, page 13, which calls out the Fair Work Ombudsman's key dates around all of these changes. And we'd encourage you strongly to, to go and, and, and get a copy of that and perhaps uh, even uh, sticky tape it up on the wall or whatever you do with uh, bits of paper these days, Matthew. I don't know if sticky tape's still around, but uh, we'll run with sticky, <laughs> sticky tape. Um, I wanted to touch on one more thing with you. Obviously, um, uh, single-touch payroll um, has 
been changing the game for a number of years now. We've talked exclusively or extensively rather about the implementation of single touch payroll phase two, which seems to be rolling out very steadily now around Australia. Few uh, few DSPs that we're still working alongside with their um, with with their finishing times, and we'll talk a little bit about that perhaps with Simone Emmett a little bit later. But STP and activity statements is our title of page 22 on our website. Um, there's been some talk, or not some talk, there's a, there's action, not just talk around the ATO and pre-fill. Expand on that for us, please, Matthew. So we've copied into the newsletter what the ATO have published out. I'm pleased to say there is a bit more detail behind it. We'll discuss that uh, with ICB members, but we will spend a little bit of time on it. It's at the um, Bookkeepers Summit coming up in March as well. But what it's doing, Rob, is quite the logical. Single-touch payroll data goes in from the employer to the ATO every payday. The ATO's got that data. What are they doing with it? We know they're now you know, putting it up on MyGov so individuals can see how much income. They're sending it to Services Australia for those individuals impacted by Services Australia. But they're also now adding up W1W2 and saying, we will put that on the activity statement in online services for agents and online services for business. Eventually, we may pre-fill it through to the software, but they'll add it up, they'll pre-fill the activity statements. Now, that doesn't mean it's right. That just means they've added up what you've sent through. So there is still a checking process. Um, it's logical. It'll happen. Um, happen this year in the ATO's online services space. The second component of that is the ATO going, well, hang on, we've got W1W2. So we know what the liability for POIGW is. So what we might do now is we might start being a bit more proactive and remind the employer, hang on, you haven't lodged your activity statement, but we know you withheld some money. So there'll be reminders come out to lodge your activity statement. There'll be reminders about POIGW. There'll be reminders to actually pay the amounts. So it's a logical development of the ATO's computers, their programs, their follow-up, their use of data. I think we, you know, if we think about the evolution of, of superannuation payments and how you know, there wasn't that long ago that uh, you know the ATO were reliant on the bookkeeper providing that data, and then with single touch payroll that has flipped around. The ATO is fully aware, payroll by payroll, of what superannuation has been calculated. Um, so we're in, we're in a space we've been in the space for a while now where that information, that data, has already been made cognizant to the ATO. Um, so we just got to think of it as another evolution of that pre-fill with PAYGW. And what I'm calling out here is, uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I think we're aware of a number of bookkeepers questioning where does this leave them and how is this going to position them moving forward. And without us giving too many spoilers, that's something we're going to talk about and tackle at our summit in in uh, in March. So bookkeepers um, will be affected by this. There's no issue. But I think in a positive way and a way that we'll be able to grasp and use to the benefit of our business owners that we work alongside, um, whether that be in employment or whether that be um, as professional bookkeepers working in practice. Matthew, um, is there any sense that this will continue to grow out in any other ways? I mean, uh, can I... Can I throw it out there and spitball, you know, G1 and G11 and 1A and 1B? How, how, how's that going to unfold? Well, instantly, Rob, where, where are they going to get that number from? So, you know, and as bookkeepers, we know we spend our life interpreting the anomalies. So as much as it might be data, it might be digitised, it might be computerised, it might be there somebody is still analysing and checking it's right. So even though the ATO is going to use our payroll data to pre-fill the BAS, somebody is still saying, yes, that number is right. So, you know, we've still got those verification processes. So does our role change, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Great, uh, great, great little session, Matthew. I've enjoyed uh, hearing you explain and unpack both those topics, both very important top topics in different ways for our bookkeeping and business community, albeit that 
there's there's some actions in there and then there's others that are just simply around being across this and being aware of this. So, Matthew Addison, thank you for joining us today on the ICB News Channel. We're going to ask our listeners to hang in and we're going to uh, have Simone Emmett, our newsletter editor, come in and uh, share a few other key aspects of what's happening throughout 2023, the importance of our ICB newsletter never diminishes. The information in there is gold. And uh, Matthew, you play, play an absolute uh, key, key part in that. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for joining us today on the ICB News Channel. Thanks, Rob. It's been a pleasure. We will get to Simone Emmett, our uh, news editor, at some point very soon. But uh, in the meantime, I've been very fortunate as Matthew shuffles out to uh, secure Tom Sortell, who is from Zero, and uh, is joining us today to, to give us a little bit of an update on where the STP2 transition process is at zero. We had uh, Will Buckley join us late last year in 2022 to, to give a bit of an introduction as to how that was rolling out, but we're getting to some pointy ends now. Before we get too deep into that, welcome to the ICB News Channel podcast, Tom Sortell. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Maybe just before we kick off with uh, a, a, an update for our membership on where Zero is at with the STP transition journey, maybe a little bit about uh, your role at Zero, Tom. Where what, what's your uh, what's what's your role? Sure, we'd love to. So I'm the uh, the product leader who's working across our teams that are working on Australian payroll. So we've we've got a number of different uh, teams of engineers, designers, uh, product folks, and so I kind of. Uh, work to lead that group and try and make sure that we're making the best possible payroll product that we can for the Australian market, um, which uh, has involved a lot of focus on STP phase two of late, as you can as you can imagine. Absolutely, it has. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a lot of a lot of emphasis on STP two called out through our uh, helplines at the ICB. A lot of um, bookkeepers and members reaching out to us as that that has unfolded. Um, different software companies at different phases. Um, and as I said, we, we sort of examined that in, in a latter episode in 2022 of Zero's journey. We're well into that now and it's, it's well rolling along. But do you want to maybe, rather than me speculate, give us an update on where Zero is at with the transition to STP phase two? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're definitely on the home stretch, which is um, really exciting. Uh, so businesses and our, our customers are able to do everything they need to do to get ready uh, with the kind of few different steps that we've got and built out in the product. Um, and we're starting to enable customers to enroll and start filing on STP phase two, which um, we're rolling out gradually, but we have had a number of customers who have enrolled and started filing. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, Four zero SP two impacts hundreds of thousands of employers and millions of employees. Mm, so yeah, we're, we're yep. in partnership with the ATO, where we're just trying to be really uh, careful as as we roll out, uh, just given given the scale. Um, but for the customers that have started filing, we're already seeing really positive signs in terms of the way the transitions being managed um, based on the quality of the data that's flowing through to the ATO. So. So we're almost at the end, and it's it's looking it's looking good so far. So yes, yeah, so it is very much as I said, the pointy end, and uh, as a result of that, you know, we want to make sure that everybody is across what's unfolding. That that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that ATO deferral date is or uh, is expiring on on March 31. Um, can you can you just work us or sort of not work us walk us through the process from migrating to phase two in zero? Can you give us a little bit of an understanding around that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as as you said, um, the deferral expires on the thirty first of March, and so what we've built out is kind of a clear four step process for transitioning all of your existing payroll, employment, tax, earnings, and leave data so that it's ready to be filed and reported under STB phase two before that deferral ends. Uh, so every employer who is reporting through STP on zero will need to work through these steps to ensure that they're ready to go and that they're meeting those new reporting requirements. 
One of the things that keeps popping up now as we get to these pointy ends and, and as I've referenced, you know, different softwares have got uh, different deferrals and some have expired and some are, are getting there as, as with zero on 31 March. I think possibly the number one question that we keep getting is what happens if you're a zero user, an SME, um, and, and bookkeepers helping zero SMEs? What happens after 31 March if a zero customer hasn't switched to phase two? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question that we've, we've definitely been hearing. So businesses are obligated to transition by the 31st of March to meet their reporting obligations under that deferral from, from the ATO. Um, so their ability to continue to file pay runs through SEP may be affected if they haven't completed all of the transition steps and have gotten their data in a position where we can file it with SCP2. We've, of course, put a lot of effort and uh, I know the whole kind of industry as well has um, into trying to make the process of switching really seamless um, so small businesses can remain compliant. Um, and our key focus right now really is trying to get everyone across the line. Um, but, yeah, just important to be aware that um, filing may be affected. Yeah, it's it's a it's you know most of uh, the listeners probably right now are bookkeepers either in practice or in employment. Um, so bookkeepers, especially in employment, working with zero. Um, hopefully that message is coming across especially strong. If you haven't made that transition, you know, get on it now, folks, uh, because that that deferral does have have some emphasis on it and some consequences beyond that potentially. So we need to be across that. Um, but also for our bookkeepers working with business owners and SMEs, obviously keep encouraging and keep strongly suggesting that now rather than later is a good thing, I guess is the central message, Tom. Finally, when when we, uh, when we look at um, bookkeepers in particular um, and um, discuss bookkeepers assisting business owners with zero. Are there any additional things for those bookkeepers to consider regarding STP phase two? Yeah, of course. I think, of course, of course familiarise yourself with the transition steps if you haven't already, of course, um, and we can maybe just like recap the, the kind of four steps that we've set up in the product um, if, if we want to go into that as well. Um, aside from that, um, particularly if you're dealing with awards, really understanding how the disaggregation of allowances um, could impact the transition for any clients that are under awards um, because we know that's been something we've been hearing that can be a little challenging yeah, as people yeah. have been working through, as I'm sure you've heard yeah. as well. <laughs> So on that, um, I'm guessing www.zero.com.com.au uh, would be a, a good place to start if you've got some uh, um, some questions and certainly your support processes through there could assist with that. Um, but also I'll call out that we, the ICB, have a number of resources, especially our uh, mapping tool that I've mentioned previously that may come in handy when it comes to the transitional process. And certainly the allowances, as you've mentioned, seem to have created some angst. So we've actually even run some uh, technical uh, sessions that uh, our members can tap into online to be able to, to, to hear the, the discussion around dealing with allowances and STP phase two. So Tom, thank you for joining us today on the ICB News Channel. It's been fantastic to, to, to have your dulcet tones, mate, and uh, we, we, we hope you won't make yourself a stranger and join us again sometime. We're obviously uh, very, very connected with, with Zero and where it's going, especially throughout 2023 and beyond, which is our uh, catch cry this year. And uh, we, we want to thank you again for joining us today on the ICB News Channel. Absolutely, my pleasure. And yeah, I just wanted to say a really big thank you to all of the bookkeepers that are supporting all of their clients as they work through SCP phase two. Uh, we're like super conscious and aware of the critical role um, that, of course, all, all bookkeepers play in supporting small businesses with their payroll, especially with large regulatory changes like STP and programs like JobKeeper. We know that we work really hard to try and make this simple, but we're just super conscious of the impact it has and how critical and kind of key the bookkeeping community is to actually helping um, employees pull it off. So I just, yeah, I wanted to just 
make sure that we shouted that out because we, good, we good really call do, out, Tom. We'd really do appreciate it and we know how critical it is for the, our product to be successful as well. No, good call out and uh, obviously uh, we are very proud of, of our, our members and, and, and also those bookkeepers peddling away out there in employment that, um, that work with Zero. Well done, guys. Absolutely. Um, totally agree with Tom's comments there. So, Tom, thanks again for joining us today and we look forward to uh, tuning in with you again sometime in the future. Sounds good. Thanks, mate. And as promised, we'll now move to uh, the latter end of today's episode of the ICB News Channel. And um, again, as promised, uh, Simone Emmett, our uh, newsletter editor, has slipped into the seat. Simone, as always, great to have you on the ICB News Channel. Thanks, Rob. It's always always a pleasure to be here and have a chat to you about what's going on in the world of bookkeeping. Always lots going on in the world of bookkeeping, isn't there? And um, we've covered off on quite a bit with um, some topics that we've spoken about with um, Matthew Addison earlier in, t- in this episode and then a little bit of an update there from Zero in regards to their final stages of STP2 rollout. But uh, in our January newsletter and also on our website, www.icb.org.au, there is plenty of news items for us to discuss and uh, make sure our members, as you said, and those bookkeepers tuning in who perhaps aren't members but need to be informed, there's plenty for us to still talk about and we're going to run through a few of those now. One of the articles that was in the newsletter that uh, I thought was uh, really... uh, Excellent. There's another word for it. Excellent. Uh, Simone um, had the heading, A Bookkeeper's Guide to the Year. So obviously we're at the start of a new calendar year and there is always, as you called out, so much for bookkeepers to be across and especially with the year ahead. You know, bookkeeping is challenging, it's thrilling, it can be motivating, but we need to be informed and um, there's lots of things that we need to deliver on and be very specific about knowing dates and and uh, information that is effectively uh, guiding us through our year. Do you want to sort of just elaborate a bit more on that article, A Bookkeeper's Guide to the Year? Yes, certainly, Rob. I think um, the last couple of years have brought constant changes for bookkeepers to the tax system, um, new rules and regulations around payroll, new government initiatives, disaster management, and understanding the impact of technology on practice. These changes are huge. There is so much to take in. And something that, that being a bookkeeper myself, I understood that it's really essential to stay organised in working in this really, really fast environment. Um, finding a system that works for you is the best thing. And so the article that I've written in the January newsletter just gives you some tips on how to stay organised. It's really worth a read. Um, create a system for yourself. Um, But one of the big things that that is for me is being aware of the ATO key lodgement dates. So they're the ones that you work around, that your year revolves around them, which however you report. So the newsletter, we've provided the links to all the critical lodgement and payment dates um, for the remainder of the 2023 financial year. I'm not going to list them all. You can happily go to www.icp.org.au. But um, I'm sure that for those who report quarterly, we're very much aware that the quarter two BAS is due at the end of this month. Yeah, that's always one. That one's always caught a few people out, hasn't it? So it's that one that's just out of kilter with everything else. Um, You know, a lot of people get a little bit angsty about it being due uh, due in uh, January, but the ATO does get that extension. But then the tricky bit is for BAS agents, you don't necessarily have extensions beyond that unless you apply. So there can be some uh, trickiness around that one. So I'm glad you've called that out. Yeah, coming back from holidays and just getting back into things, it's like, that's right, the BAS is due. Yeah. So just an important, just for the most recent one, the most important one to call out. But I just, I recommend all bookkeepers just go through and familiarise yourself with all those dates and put them in your calendar. It's a really, really good um, article that you've written there, Simone, and uh, I think everyone will be much the better for it. Another term that keeps floating around for us in the bookkeeping world um, is the term mandatory rules for payment times. Now, that one sort of has been out there for a little bit now. Um, so in summary, with the Payment Times reporting scheme, big business is now accountable for paying small business suppliers on time. And 
I was at a recent um, breakfast with um, Bruce Bilson, who was a former uh, small business minister, I think. I'll be corrected on that in, uh, in a previous government, but now heads up the organisation known as ASPEFIO, which is the effectively an organisation specifically for small businesses who are family enterprises. Um, and um, he said, he made a quote that... Uh, we've captured that says big business has a role to play in the nation's recovery, starting with paying their small business suppliers on time. Adopting e-invoicing is a great way to ensure suppliers are paid promptly. Good businesses, a good business pays. Ultimately, cash flow is king for small and family businesses. If they are paid on time, the whole economy benefits. Now, I think the majority of listeners listening in would be saying amen to Bruce on that one because there are more small or family-style businesses in Australia than any other type of business structure. Um, I, I haven't got the exact figures in front of me, but I know at one point I remember it being something in the vicinity of 1.8 million businesses had five or less employees. So most are family-type businesses in Australia, the majority are, and yet big business um, continues over a period of time to not necessarily honour that and pay small business at, in a timely way. Do you want to just sort of give a little bit more on that article and just what the scheme pretty much aims to, to yes, do? certainly. Well, it's, its large aim is to create a transparency around the payment practices of big business entities. Giving small business access to this information on payment times and performance helps small businesses make decisions and important business decisions on who they will do business with. It yeah. creates incentives for big businesses to improve their payment times and practices. So under the scheme, large business businesses must report every six months on their payment times and terms to small business. And these are made publicly available, which is fantastic. Um, mm. Eligible businesses, and this is the part that gets a bit tricky and there's a lot on the paymenttimes.gov.au website, but the main eligibility is income that's greater than $100 million per annum or income greater than $10 million per annum if the entity is part of a group with a combined total of income greater than $100 million. Um, but businesses can volunteer to be part of this. Um, it, it is something if, if, a, if a larger business wants to take the initiative and be part of it, it's it's intended to influence behaviours that the government sees as a barrier to the cash flow of smaller enterprises. So using the community as a reputational mechanism to make, make larger businesses accountable for their payment times is, I think, a fantastic incentive. It is, absolutely. And you've already called it out, but uh, if, you're, if you're not sure about... Um, some of this other than what we've already got in our news articles and um, in the newsletter, the January newsletter, you can also go to paymenttimes.gov.au. So paymenttimes, or one word, .gov.au for further explanation. And this is one of those ones, what is the action for the bookkeeper? It's an awareness and it's an understanding to help your small business owners that you work alongside to get better payment times and basically improve those cash flow issues that so many are suffering at the moment. And there's lots of evidences to suggest that the timeliness of this is more important than ever. So I'm glad you've called this one out in our uh, news items and on our newsletter, um, Simone. Really good. Thanks, Rob. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll also uh, call out that Within our website, www.icb.org.au, you will now find a, a whole stack of new, uh, not necessarily new, but definitely updated resources. And uh, we've called that out also through the newsletter for those who tune into the newsletter. And I'll just uh, mention a few of those resources that have been recently updated by our uh, fabulous resource team at ICB. Um, we've got uh, updated resources on the new employee kit and checklist, the taxable payments reporting system, always one that starts to come into to vogue um, in the middle part of, uh, of each calendar year. We've updated the resources that we have around sharing accommodation and in particular those tricky questions around Airbnb. 
Um, one that we have pop up, sadly, from time to time, Simone, on our support lines a lot, and that's what to or how to handle when there is the death of an employee. Um, again, circling back to TPAR, um, we've got a specific business sheet now for one of the later um, additions for the TPAR system around IT. Um, so I've sort of have expanded that one out. We've also got, do you need to cite every tax invoice? Now, that's a question, Simone, that we seem to see pop up quite regularly and, again, has popped up as recently as today on uh, on social media. So um, do you need to cite every tax invoice? Great resource. Um, I'm also going to be mentioning and speaking about that at Summit this year. We've also got jury duty and community leave and we've also updated the majority of our termination resources following the recent termination workshops that uh, we ran around Australia in the back part of 2022. There's one resource, however, we just want to spend a little bit more time talking about now um, that we think has had probably the most significant updating and certainly is very topical, Simone, and that is um, when we talk rostered days off and time in lieu. Um, so do you want to just take us through a little bit of what, what's been um, expanded, you might say, or updated with, the, with that particular resource? Yeah, well, certainly. Well, I'll give you a, a bit of a small summary first of RDOs or rostered days off. Um, they're when an employee has worked extra hours, usually four weeks, and add up to one, and one day off. So RDOs are commonly used within the building and construct, construction industry and are also available for other industries. But yeah. it's also important to check the award. But um, the example is if you work eight hours a day for five days, so Monday to Friday, totals 40 hours a week, but you get paid for 38 hours, so 7.6 per day. The other two hours accrue towards an RDO. So when you take that RDO, you're paid for your accrued hours, but you receive the 38 hours pay each week. So we've updated mm -hmm. this resource to explain the process on how to calculate and record the RDOs and include the information that's new for STP2 reporting yeah. because it yeah. does change some of the categories that you need to put RDOs in. So that, that's the main update for that. And also the superannuation details and things like that have been updated Correct. for RDOs. Um, time off in lieu is another one that can, can cause some angst as well within the payroll mm -hmm. system. So some awards allow for this. Um, um, under the concept, employees permitted to work additional or overtime hours and receive time off in lieu of, of working these hours performed. Not all mm -hmm. awards have these provisions, but they can be added to an employment contract if needed. I know that it happens. It's, it's, it's a very common practice in many businesses for time in lieu. Um, yep. But it is very important to keep track of these time in lieu hours and it can blow out to very substantial time off for employers and cause cash flow and staff rostering issues. So our new update um, does go into how to do this process properly and also within the STP2 area yep. and really does break it down a little bit more into how to do this within the payroll system and, and record time off in lieu. So again... Yep. Our website, www.icb.org.au, all these resources are available and the team have been working extremely hard to get these up and running as quickly as we can. Yeah, so again, these are resources that tend to have been there for some time for members to have tapped into, but uh, obviously with um, STP2 coming along, single touch payroll phase two, um, the, we've put a bit of a lens on those and there are some additional um, pieces in there, as Simone's just called out, that you might want to go and review, even if you say, oh, I've got that resource some time ago, just go and have another look because there's some additional information in there that may be relevant to, to how you handle those processes. And they are ones, in my experience, over many years that, you you know, you don't have every day of the week, perhaps, with your payroll, but you when you do, you've got to scratch your head, Simone, and uh, it's very valuable for those resources but to be there and to guide um us as bookkeepers as to the processes that we need to follow. So again, um, we are thankful to our resources team who have uh, spent a lot of time and including yourself, Simone, to ensure those are updated and, and ready for um, people to access. Finally, as we wrap up this episode of the ICB News Channel, 
Um, just one final call out for those who are members and those who even that aren't members. Uh, again, we call out employ, um, bookkeepers who are in employment. Our ICB uh, Australian Summit, Australian Bookkeepers Summit, is about to kick off in March and there is still opportunity for those who weren't aware that you could register for that uh, opportunity. Jump onto our website, www.icb.org.au. There are uh, presentations or, sorry, uh, there are sessions being run right around Australia and we'll, we'll just quickly go through those dates and, and places in a moment. But we also have an online offering at the back end of the event on Thursday the 30th of March and Friday the 31st of March. So um, if you're not in a position to, to attend a, an event, you can jump online and get the benefit of some amazing, we've just uh, uh, pretty much signed off on all the information that goes in our highly valuable manual. And uh, we're pretty excited about the what we're what will be on offer at this year's summit. So, Simone, do you just want to call out um, one more time uh, the the dates and the venues for the events coming up? Certainly, we have Hobart on Wednesday the first of March, Canberra Friday the third of March, Sydney Tuesday the seventh of March, Cairns Friday the tenth, Adelaide Wednesday the fifteenth of March, Darwin Friday the seventeenth of March. Perth, Monday the 20th, Brisbane the 22nd, or you can also attend the 23rd, and finishing up in Melbourne on the 28th and the 29th. So very exciting, big time for you guys on the road, and I'm yeah. just personally looking forward to the Melbourne event, which I'll be attending myself. <laughs> so very exciting. Absolutely. It is a huge uh, month for all the ICB staff, just recognising with the Melbourne event, it's it's you can register for either Tuesday the 28th or Wednesday the 29th. Um, that's, um, you can choose which day you would prefer to attend, similar with Brisbane on the 22nd of March or Thursday the 23rd of March. And with those online events, again, uh, Thursday the 30th of March and Friday the 31st of March, that's split across two days, that particular event. So really excited about what's to come, Simone. Thank you for joining us again, as always, uh, the You're amount welcome. of work that you put together for uh, all the stuff that we've just spoken about. want to thank Matthew Addison again for uh, his time today on the ICB News Channel and also to um, our uh, friends at Zero for joining us earlier to the, in this episode. Tom, who uh, did a great job uh, explaining single-touch payroll phase two and where we're at with Zero. Um, Simone, thank you again for joining us today on the ICB News Channel, and we look forward to the next edition. Thanks, Rob. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Cheers, Simone.